appreciate Pastor Tony and this choir this morning, this music ministry, for helping usher us into the presence of the Lord. I want you to reach for your Bibles today and go with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 14, please, if you don't mind. I'm going to give you a moment to find that today. And um, while you're finding that, um, obviously I've got a little... Well, a big illustrated sermon I'm going to preach this morning. That's a little bigger than I anticipated. That boat was going to be, Pastor Tony. It's good. The bigger, the better. And uh, there is uh, a funeral that's going to be held here today from someone in our community. So we're going to need some help to get this boat out of this auditorium this morning. So I need some good, strong men uh, that can give us a hand. We'll get this thing put up and put out of the way until somebody can come get it uh, tomorrow. Um, Sometimes I just get these wild hairs and have these thoughts just, it just kind of hits me. And um, it hit me about Thursday that I wanted a boat to preach from. And um, I made a couple of phone calls and I was able to get one. Um, So we're going to use that this morning, uh, if that's all right. Matthew chapter 14, uh, we're going to begin reading the 22nd verse. I'm going to let you remain seated this morning because I'm going to read about 11 verses of Scripture. If you found it, uh, we're going to begin reading. I'm reading from the New King James Version of the Bible this morning. Uh, may read differently than what you have, but uh, if you want to follow along with me today in your Scripture, you can, or on the PowerPoint, you can do that. Here's what the Bible says. Immediately, Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. But the boat was now in the middle of the sea, tossed by the waves, for the wind was contrary. Now in the fourth watch of the night, or somewhere between 3 o'clock in the morning and 6 o'clock in the morning, And they tell us that the fourth watch of the night is the darkest time of the night. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a ghost, and they cried out for fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So Jesus said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. Then those who were in the boat came and worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. I want to take a few moments this morning. And I want to use this title for this message today. Get off the ship. Get off the ship. Let's pray one last time and then we'll go into the Word together. Father, thank you today for your Word. Thank you for the truth of your Word today, God. Thank you for the power and thank you for the presence of the Holy Spirit, God, that is here today. God, I'm asking you one more time this morning to help me preach today. God, release that anointing that makes my thoughts clear and makes my speech on point today, God. And I ask, God, that I'll be hid behind the cross today, Father, and that people will hear you, God, and see you, and that you'll be lifted up and magnified in this place today. And God, in a few moments when we gather together in this altar, help us, I pray, in the name of Jesus, God, to be ministered to and to do what you want us to do and to hear what it is that you want us to hear. We love you for it today in Christ's name. The church said amen. Amen. God bless you, Pastor Tony. Thank you. Pastor Tony, this is safe to get in, isn't it? I'm safe? Yes. We're going to find out. He even, oh, yeah, it's good and sturdy. I can shout in this thing a little bit. 
1908, newly commissioned missionaries, John and Jesse Perkins, were on a steamship rounding the coast of Liberia. Both of them had felt in their hearts and had sensed a call from God to go to Africa and to do ministry. And even though they had sensed that call and had felt that prompting, they weren't completely sure exactly what part of Africa they were supposed to go to. But nonetheless, they went ahead and they bought tickets. They boarded that boat trusting that God would tell them when to get off the ship. As they were rounding and making their way, they came to a place called Garraway Point. It was there that they both sensed the Holy Spirit telling them to get off the ship. Unknown to John and Jesse Perkins, there was a man who lived in that region by the name of Jasper Toe. Jasper Toe, they say, said, was a godly man. He had practiced the ancient religious rituals of his ancestors, but he had never heard the name of Jesus. One night, Jasper Toe looked up into the heavens, and he prayed this prayer. He said, if there really is a God up there, help me find you. The next thing that happened, they said, was that Jasper Toe heard a voice that he had never heard before. And the voice said to him, I want you to go to Garraway Beach or Garraway Point. When you get there, you're going to see a large box on the water with smoke coming from it. From that large box will come two people in a smaller box. And those two people in that small box will tell you, how to find me. The voice was then silent. Jasper Toe began a journey on foot that would take him about seven days to complete as he made his way to Garraway Point. He arrived there on Christmas Day of 1908. As he stood on the shore of Garraway Point, he looked out, and on that water, he saw a large black box, a steamship, with smoke coming from it. It was at that moment and at that point that John and Jesse Perkins felt the prompting of the Holy Spirit to get off the boat. They went to the captain of that ship and said to him, we need to get off right here at this place. The captain of that ship was a little distraught. He said, you don't understand. You can't get off of the boat here. This is a dangerous place. It is known as cannonball country. People go into this place they never return. It's said that the, the people that live there are very violent. They eat their victims. If I let you off here, your life will be in great danger. But John and Jesse Perkins insisted that God was telling them to get off of that ship. So the captain brought that boat, brought that ship to a standstill. He put them over the side of that ship in what is known as a mammy chair. They had this canoe that was waiting there at the bottom for them. They got all of their belongings, put those belongings and themselves in that canoe, that smaller box, 
and begin to paddle their way to shore. When they got there, there was a man waiting on the shore for them by the name of Jasper Toe. He greeted them with simply a handshake and motioned for John and Jesse Perkins to follow him. They did not speak each other's language, so they had no way to verbally communicate at the time. John and Jesse Perkins followed Jasper Toe all the way to his village. When they got there, they decided they would stay in that village. And the longer they stayed, the more they seemed to feel at home. They, they then began to learn the language of those people in that village. They planted their first, they planted the first church that village had ever seen, and Jasper Toe became their first convert. And it's said that anybody who knew Jasper Toe would tell you that he was one of the godliest men that you would ever meet. And the legacy that Jasper Toe left was seen in the hundreds of churches that he established in Liberia. Now, here's my question for you this morning. What if John and Jesse Perkins had ignored the prompting of the Holy Spirit? What if John and Jesse Perkins had looked at that God idea to go to Africa as a bad idea? What if John and Jesse Perkins, instead of asking why not, what if they had asked God why? And what if, what if John and Jesse Perkins had played it safe that day and refused to get off the ship? There are certain times and there are specific seasons in our lives. And if it's okay, I'm just going to preach from this boat, maybe the whole time until I get happy enough to get out. That we will hear, Brother Gene Turpin, God speaking to us to get off the ship, so to speak. We, we refer to those times as taking a step of faith or having our faith stretched or, Pastor Tony, we may call it taking a bold risk. You know what a risk is, don't you? A risk is when we expose ourselves to the chance of injury or loss. Taking a risk is putting one's self in danger. And while we may view getting off of the ship or getting out of the boat as a risk, heaven doesn't see it as a risk. Heaven sees it as an act of faith. And faith is not faith until it is acted upon. Do you realize that everything that we do in life, we do by faith? We live by faith. Doesn't the Bible teach us and the Bible tell us that we live by faith? Not only do we live by faith, but, but we walk by faith. The Bible tells us that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith. We live by faith. We worship by faith. And here's one for you. We die by faith. Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 21 says that Jacob, when he was a dying that he blessed both the sons of Joseph, and he worshiped God leaning on the top of his staff. He worshiped by faith, and Brother Harold Stout, he eventually died by faith. We live by faith. We walk by faith. We worship by faith. We die by faith, and the time will come in our lives at some point 
that we will have to take a step of faith and get off the ship as God beckons us to come. Are you all right? There is an old Chinese proverb that says the journey of a thousand miles begins with the first step. And I'm convinced that every step that we take in our spiritual lives, it must be and it has to be a step of faith. And here's what we are prone to do at times as we sense the prompting of the Holy Spirit and the, the calling of God to get off of the ship, so to speak, and take a step of faith and do something that God's calling us and asking us to do. We get caught up in the second and the third and the fourth step, Pastor Weaver, and we don't realize that if we'll just take the first step of faith, God will take care of the next step and the step after that and the step after that and the step after that because I'm still a firm believer that the steps of the righteous are ordered by God, and if God calls you to get off of the ship, God will provide, God will sustain, God will lead, but we can't do what God wants us to do if we stay on the ship. We got to get off the ship. Are you all right? And I want to take this timeless treasure of a story today for just a few moments. This well-worn passage that every single one of us could probably get up here and teach today, the story of Peter getting out of the boat and walking on the water. I mean, this story is so timeless and so old that when I was a little kid in Sunday school, we were still using flannel graph boards. Anybody know what a flannel graph board is? And I remember my teacher teaching that story, and there's a picture of Peter, and she stuck it on the flannel graph board, and there's another picture of some water she put underneath his feet, and she talked to us about Peter getting out of the boat, walking on the water. The story is surrounded by quite possibly the most familiar and famous miracle that Jesus ever performed. It is the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 when Jesus takes five loaves and he takes two fish and he looks up to heaven that day and he blesses the loaves and he breaks the loaves and he then gives the loaves to the disciples. There is a hungry crowd that is seated on the hillside that day. The Bible tells us there were 5,000 men, not including women and children. Commentators and historians and theologians will tell us that quite possibly that day there were somewhere between fifteen and 20,000 people who were present. Jesus has been teaching and preaching and, and giving, giving this vast crowd such, such powerful principles of life and how to live. The sun is beginning to set. Darkness is fast approaching. The disciples understand the urgency of the hour. They realize that, that these people cannot stay here too long because if it gets dark and they haven't had anything to eat, on their way home they'll become weary and tired, could possibly faint, would be in great danger because some of those roads and some of those passageways they would use to go home, there were robbers there and highwaymen there who would take advantage of a weak person. And the disciples come to Jesus. They said, Lord, the hour is growing late. Send these people away so they can find something to eat. And Jesus replies back with a, a remarkable statement, if you will. He says, we don't need to send them away. You give them something to eat. Well, Lord, how are we going to feed them? And Jesus, because he already knew that the disciples had discovered a little boy there, he said, what do you have? They said, well, Lord, there's a little boy that we found. He brought a lunch for himself that consisted of 
five small barley loaves and two fish. Now, before you get happy and get excited and think it was these piping hot loaves of bread that would just be wonderful. They, the, the, if you study the miracle out, they were, they were very small wafer-like pieces of bread. It was not enough to feed a crowd, much less a family. And the two fish that he had, they were not largemouth bass. They tell us they were possibly as big as sardines. Listen, it was big enough for that little boy. He did not leave the house that day, Aunt B, anticipating having to give his lunch to a man that needed to feed 20,000 people. Unexpected. And they said, Lord, we, we've, we've got a lad here. He's got five loaves and two fish. But what are they amongst so many people here? There's no way that this little lunch this boy has is going to feed this crowd. And then Jesus tells them something else that was even more befuddling than when he said, you feed them. He said, tell everybody to sit down on the grass. Just tell them to sit down. Okay, Lord, if you say so. Uh, can I have your attention, please? We need everybody to sit down. The disciples are walking through the crowd. You need to have a seat. You need to have a seat. Yeah, but we're hungry. Sit down. So the disciples bring that lunch that they had located, and they place it in the hands of Jesus. And then Jesus does something next that is common for all of us to do before we eat. He said grace, Brother Turpin. He took those five loaves, he took those two fish, and he looked up to heaven, and he blessed them. We'll leave here today, and we'll go sit at a table somewhere. We'll bow our heads, and we'll pray some token prayer that we always pray to bless God and thank him for our food. I mean, you may say God is good and God is great. That's pretty powerful. I didn't realize it as a kid, but that's a powerful little prayer. God is good and God is great. Let us thank him for our food. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. And he said grace, and he looked up to heaven, and he blessed the loaves. He broke the loaves, and then he gave the loaves back to the disciples. See, they had it in their hands first. And when they gave what they had, Christ took it and blessed it and gave it back to them. You can never outgive the Lord. Now what, Lord? I want you to distribute it to the people. Okay. And we've got 12 disciples, and I'm assuming they each have a little bit. And they're walking around, and I, I, here's what I believe. They'd pinch a piece of bread off and give it to the person. This would kind of miraculously show back up. They get, listen, if you don't believe this, I'm telling you, I believe the Word of God's true. I'm 100% certain this miracle happened. And they're pinching pieces of bread off and breaking fish, and they're, they're handing it here and handing it there, and they're walking through the crowds. Here's a principle here. When you transfer what you have, God will transform what you transfer. When you give God what you have and when his hands get on it, it becomes a whole lot more than it would be if it just stayed in your hands. So they walk through that crowd and they feed fifteen to 20,000 people that day. And then Jesus gives them some instructions. Watch this. It gets even better. He said, I want you to gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Lord, are you joking me? I mean, we had barely enough for a little boy just to have a meal, and now you're telling us to walk back through this crowd, and there's going to be leftovers. I'm telling you, he said, go gather the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And one, one, one uh, of the gospel writers said that when the people had eaten till they were full, they didn't just get a little communion wafer and a little minnow. Somehow, whatever they ate, it filled them up. There were seconds and thirds and fourths. I mean, it was a buffet heaven style. So they start walking through the crowd. They're gathering up fragments and leftovers. I don't know where they put them, but they, they've got a basket or a pouch or a bag or something, and they're walking through that crowd and walking along that hillside. And I, I just have to imagine the people that were there, their, their mouths are gaped open. The disciples are going, oh, my gosh, how did this happen? So they gather them all up. And then Jesus says this to them. I want you to get into a boat. The Bible says that he 
made them or urged them. He was very, very strongly in faith. And crossing over to the other side. Here's what he said. Now you get in the boat. I'm going to send the multitudes away. You get into the boat. I'll take care of dispersing the crowd and getting them home. And you, you cross over to the other side. So the disciples get into the boat. Jesus disperses the crowd, sends them away. And then the Bible says this. He goes up into the mountain alone by himself, and there, the Bible said, he prayed. Now, get the picture. The crowds are gone. The climactic moment of this miracle has, has come down. The disciples are now sitting in a boat on their way across the sea, and Jesus is up in a mountain, and he's praying. And as we continue reading, we're going to see the scene shift from Jesus in a mountain praying. Now the disciples, the Bible said at this point, the boat is now in the middle of the sea. It is tossed by the waves, for the wind, it said, was contrary. The disciples are in the middle of a storm and where is Jesus? He's in the mountain praying. Do you think it's possible that Jesus knew the disciples were headed into a storm? And long before they ever got there, Jesus was already interceding for them and praying for them. Is it possible that Jesus knows long before we ever get into a storm, he knows that we're going to be there, and the Bible says that he is seated today at the right hand of the Father, and he ever liveth to make intercession for us. Jesus is praying for you, and Jesus is praying for me today. What a thought that is, that the very God of heaven is praying for us this morning. Watch. Here they are in a boat. Jesus is praying. And the Bible says that he comes out of the mountain and he comes walking on the water to the disciples. It's the fourth watch of the night now. It's the darkest time of the night. And when the disciples see this figure coming to them on the water, they are immediately terrified. And they cry out in fear. Here's what they say. It is a ghost. Now, how is it possible that they have spent so much time with Jesus and they still don't recognize him? Oh, I could stop there and preach for a minute or two this morning. But you can think you're as close as possible to him but still be so unfamiliar with who he is and what he wants to do in our lives. They cried out in fear, it's a ghost, and immediately Jesus speaks to them and says, It is I, do not be afraid. And there's 12 disciples in that boat, but there's only one that speaks up at this point because the rest of them are still trying to catch their breath and their hearts are about to beat out of their chest because they thought they had seen a ghost. And there's one disciple that speaks up, and it's Peter. And he says, Lord, if it's really, truly you, then tell me to come. Tell me and let me come out of this boat and walk on the water. Listen, Jesus, at that point, he had every reason to probably rebuke Peter for his lack of faith and for not trusting the fact that Jesus had just said, it's me. How many times do we get a promise and we hear God, but yet we still doubt what he tells us? Boy, I'm preaching better than you're letting on this morning. And he says, Peter, okay. He didn't say anything else. He said one word. He said, come. And the Bible said that Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I don't know how far he got, but I know that he walked on the water, and all of a sudden, 
with his eyes fixed on Jesus, it says that he took his eyes off of the Lord and he saw that the wind was boisterous and the sea was violent. And as soon as he shifted his focus from Christ to the chaos, he then began to sink. And his next request is as bold as the first one, but yet there is such a, a plea for mercy at this point. Lord, save me. I'm going to die. What does Jesus do? He just reaches down his hand, and he pulls Peter up. And as listen, this is amazing. I don't think he drugged Peter back to the boat and threw him over the side. I believe Peter, now listen, I, I'm getting a little revelation right here. I think Peter walked on the water again. How do you think he got back? He picks him up, and I believe as they're on their way back to the boat, walking on the water, oh, you of little faith, you knucklehead. What is wrong with you, Peter? I believe they're having a dialogue on the way back to the boat. Why did you doubt, Peter? Why were you so afraid? Lord, I don't know. And they make their way back, and they get back into the boat, and at that point, when they stepped back into the boat, the storm ceased. And the rest of the disciples are just blown away. Truly, this is the Son of God. They knew long before he got out of the boat and walked on the water that, was, that he was the Son of God. But sometimes, because we're fleshly and we're carnal, we need some tangible proof we got to see something and feel something just to reaffirm to us that God is in control. Now, permit me for just a moment, just to give you some principles in this story about the ship, about the boat. Number one, the ship is seasonal. The ship is a temporary place of comfort not an eternal home to dwell in. We were made for more than the mundane. This mundane, average, ordinary, run-of-the-mill life that we live sometimes, it does not have a forever label on it. There is more to life. There is more to God. There is more to your spiritual walk than you're experiencing right now at this present time in your life. You say, but pastor, the boat is comfortable. The ship is, is, is easy to, to, to live in. and it's, a, it's an easy place to be, pastor. I, I don't like when my faith is stressed. Listen, you were not created to live on the boat forever. There's something beyond the ship that God has for our lives. When they got into that boat that day, Jesus did not intend for those disciples to stay in that boat forever. At some point, they had to get out of the ship. And I want you to understand that if you live any length of time, you're going to find out that life is seasonal, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. I'm going to say that again. You need to let that, you need to let that marinate for a minute. Life is seasonal, change is inevitable, but growth is optional. You can stay on the boat if you want to, and you can sense the seasons of life changing around you, but God will never make you get off of the ship. You can stay there as long as you want, but if you grow comfortable and content and satisfied, you'll miss so much more that God has for you beyond the sides of the boat. What does the Bible tell us? That to everything there is a season and a time for every purpose under the heaven. There's a time to be born and there's a time to die. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. There's a time to, to laugh and there's a time to weep. There's a time to mourn. There's a time to dance, the writer said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for war and there's a time for peace. Life is seasonal. Change is inevitable. 
But growth is optional. You don't have to get off the ship if you don't want to. But I want you to know if you choose to stay in the safety and the comfort and the confines of this boat, you'll miss some things that God has for your life. Daniel 2 and 21, it says that God, He has the power to change the times and the seasons. Genesis 8 and 22 tells us that as long as the earth remaineth seed time and harvest, summer and winter, day and night shall never cease, there will come a time that God will beckon you and invite you to get off the ship. Number two, not only is the ship seasonal, but the ship is safe. Listen, I know that the disciples were in the middle of the storm, but being in that boat was a lot safer than literally being in that sea. If I had my choice, now I know those weren't great big boats during that day, and I've looked at some of that and I've studied some of that, I'd still rather be in something than be floating in the water somewhere with nothing around me. The ship is safe. The ship speaks of safety. The ship speaks of comfort. The ship speaks of stability. Who doesn't like that? I enjoy comfortable places, don't you? I enjoy safety. I enjoy stability. But I'm telling you, at some point, God will take the safety of that ship and he'll turn it into a stirred moment where you will sense something deep in your heart that there is more to life than what I'm experiencing right now. There's something out there God has for me. There's a challenge that God has laid before me. There's a step of faith that God is urging me to take. Safe, it's stable, it's comfortable. It's like this biblical example in the book of Acts, chapter number eight. There was a man by the name of Philip. And Philip was doing ministry during a time when Saul was wreaking havoc of the church. Saul was going from home to home and family to family and arresting people and dragging them off to stand trial because they were Christians. And Philip ends up in a place called Samaria. And the Bible said he was preaching the Word of God and preaching Jesus. And guess what happened in Samaria? Revival broke out. Demon-possessed people were being delivered and set free. People were being saved. And the Bible says there was great joy in the city of Samaria. I'd want to stay there, wouldn't you? But God wouldn't let Philip stay. He comes down. He says, Philip, I need you to get up. And I need you to leave Samaria. What, Lord? I need you to leave Samaria. I want you to go down along the way toward the south. And there's a little place down there, down below Jerusalem, called Gaza. And I want you to go there, Philip. And by the way, before you get there, I want to let you know that it's a deserted place. It's a desert place. It's a wilderness. I want you to go there because I have need of you there. Wait a minute, Lord. I'm in Samaria. We're having revival. There's great joy in the city. People are being saved. Demon-possessed people are being delivered and set free. I know, Philip, but I, I need you to go down to the desert. I need you to go down to the dry place because there's something I have for you there. In essence, God was telling Philip, I need you to get out of the ship. I need you to get out of the comfortable place called Samaria. I need you to leave this great revival behind because somebody down there needs you. If you read the rest of the story in the book of Acts, when Philip got down to the desert place, he ran into this Ethiopian eunuch that had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. And before the day was done, Philip had preached Jesus to him. The eunuch had been baptized, and Philip had literally been raptured up and taken away and landed back down somewhere else. Listen, there comes a time when God calls you to get out of the ship. You've got to get off the ship and get out of the boat because God has something else for your life. Number three, the ship is seasonal. The ship is safe. But while you are in the ship, you will hear a sound. And here's the sound that those disciples heard that day, that evening, that night. They heard the sound of the voice of Jesus himself. And there's two things, Brother Jerry Beckner, that sound did that they heard that day. First of all, it steadied their faith. As they are in that boat and they see that figure walking to them on the water, they have this moment of panic and this moment of fear. And the Bible said they cried out. It wasn't, oh, hey, look there, Peter. It's a ghost. Hey, do you see that? No, it wasn't that. They cried out in fear, probably with a yell and a shout, oh, it's a ghost. And they're, they're hiding. They're ducking down. But then, then the next thing you see, there's a sound that kind of steadies their faith and says, it is I. Do not be afraid. 
Now, why would Jesus speak that? Because he knew, listen, he knew that Peter was going to ask him to let him get out of the boat and walk on the water. And Jesus speaks that word to steady the faith of those disciples. And I believe to steady the faith of Peter because he knew that Peter was getting ready to step into something that he'd never been into before. And isn't that like the Lord? That there are times that he'll speak to us and he'll steady our faith and prepare us for the next step and the next season of life that he has for us and the place that he's calling us and the assignment that he has for us and the challenge that he's laid out before us. Maybe it's to, 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 to walk through a door and take a new job. Maybe it's to approach that person you've been holding a grudge against and you've been so bitter and angry with and, and get out of that safe place and try to, try to make things right. Maybe, maybe it's, it's the call to fully and completely and totally surrender everything about your life to Christ and get on board with him and say, God, wherever you lead me, I'll go. But he steadied their faith. And then here's the next thing that happens. The voice steadied their faith, but then there was a voice that summoned Peter to come. Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And what does Jesus say? He says, come. And Peter got out of the boat, and he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Listen, our calling in life is not to arrive at a destination of stability, but rather our calling in life is to walk a pathway of constant growth and transformation. And God cannot transform you, and God cannot mold you and make you, and you cannot become everything that God wants you to be if all you want to do is stay in the boat. You can't grow in the boat. You can't develop in the boat. You can't mature in the boat. It's not going to happen. At some point, you've got to leave the comfortable confines of this boat and step out, and whatever God's leading you and calling you to do, you've got to take the step of faith. Listen, if we're really going to live by faith, we talk about it a lot. Pastor Tony, come help me, please. Let me land this. If we're going to really live by faith, and see, it's easy to say the just shall live, but we're going to live by faith. It's one thing to say we're going to live by faith. But then when God stretches our faith, that's a whole different ballgame, Brother Stout. Anybody know what I'm talking about? I hope this is resonating today. It's one thing to say I'm going to live by faith, but then when God challenges us and calls us and stretches us, that's a whole different ballgame right there. When you really, when you, listen, we can preach and talk about getting out of the boat all day long, but when you really have to do it, well, it's a whole different ballgame. And if we're really going to live by faith, we've got to be willing to let God disrupt the equilibrium of our lives. You know what equilibrium, that's what helps you stay balanced and stay steady. And sometimes, listen, if we're really going to live by faith, let God disrupt that equilibrium of our lives. Here's the last thing I want you to see, and I'm going to close. I don't, I don't have time to talk to you about Abraham. I wish I did. And the call to go lay his son on an altar and sacrifice him as a burnt offering. You talk about, you, you talk about getting out of the ship, that son of promise. What did Abraham do? He said he got up and he went. What, what God said, I want you to take your son and, and I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. I want you to take him to a place that I will show you. It took him three days to even find a place. Three, read Genesis 22. It took him three days to even find the place. And on the third day, God said, this is it right here. Go ahead. And then what does he do? He takes, takes Isaac with him. He begins to march up the mountain. And he had some servants there with him. They were, had rode on donkeys. And what did the Bible say? The servants stayed at the foot of the mountain with the donkeys. But he said, Aladdin and I are going to go yonder and worship him, and we will return. Listen, getting out of the ship is going to a place called yonder. There'll be some people who are content to stay at the foot of the mountain and maintain with the donkeys. Listen, that's some people's lot in life. They're comfortable doing that. I don't want to stay at the foot of the mountain and just maintain and take care of the donkeys. I want to go yonder to a place that God's calling us. <clears throat> Abraham took the step of faith, laid his son down, got ready to bring the knife and plunge it through his chest. And offer him as a, why would God do that, Pastor? It was a test of Abraham's faith. And God said, no, Abraham, don't do it. It was just a test. And Abraham experienced the miraculous provision of a ram caught in the thicket. But he would have never experienced the provision of the ram in the thicket had he not taken the first step to sacrifice his son. You will never know the provision and the power and the goodness and the greatness of God if you're not willing to take a step of faith and get out of the ship and do what God asks you to do. 
Here's the last thing I'm going to leave you with this morning. The ship is seasonal. The ship is safe. There's a sound you'll hear in the ship. But eventually, the time comes, you have to step out of the ship. You can talk about it. We can preach about it. We can pray about it. We can write stuff in our journal. We can sense the compelling and the, the urging. But at some point, this is what has to happen. You've got to take one foot, put it right here. Take the other foot and put it right here. And say, okay, God, I'm out of the ship now. What's next? And I want you to know, just because you take the step of faith, it does not negate the challenges that come along with the risk of getting out of the boat. Well, Pastor, if I get out of the boat and I get out of the ship, then I'm not going to have any trouble. Everything's going to be perfect. No, there's going to be challenges that come along with taking that step of faith. And we should never, ever get out of the ship or get out of the boat without the prompting and the leading and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. We must be led by the Spirit if we're going to take a step of faith. And we'll close and leave you with this. Here, here's, a, here's two questions you got to ask yourself. Because there's some of you today, you're, you're just perfectly content where you are. I mean, there's some things that you've been maybe feeling a stirring about. Maybe to take that step and maybe apply for that job. Or maybe take that step and go try to fix that fragmented, broken relationship. Or maybe to, to take that step and take a financial risk. I'm not talking about putting your money in a stock, but I'm talking about the fact of taking a step of faith and maybe starting to try to tithe consistently. Of course, you know, i got to get that in there. That's what you say preachers preach about all the time anyway, so there's, there it is. <clears throat> or maybe to take that step and say, all right, God, I've played long enough. I've played spiritual games long enough. I'm, I'm ready to go all in with you. Or take that step and leave that comfort zone, everything that's familiar to you because you know there's something, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a compelling draw that you're feeling. Here's two questions you got to ask yourself. If I stay in the ship, what divine appointments and what God opportunities am I going to miss? Ask yourself, if I stay in the ship, what divine appointments and what God opportunities am I going to miss? And I'm going to leave you with this quote, and we're going to stand together and pray. When you come to the edge of all the light that you have. And you're getting ready to drop off into the darkness of the unknown that comes with getting out of the ship. Faith. Faith lets you know that one of two things is going to happen. Number one, you're going to have something to stand on. Or number two, you're going to be taught how to fly. One or the other. I'm going to tell you, if you'll take the step of faith, God will honor every step that you take. Would you stand with me, please, this morning? I want you to bow your heads for a moment. Close your eyes. <clears throat> Maybe you're here today. I know this message isn't for everybody. I know it's not meant to, to speak to everybody. But you're here today. You say, Pastor, you've been talking to me. Holy Spirit's been dealing with my heart, Pastor. And I'm sensing that stirring to get off the ship and get out of the safe place go with God. Pastor, there's some things that I know the Lord's dealing with my heart about. There's, there's some risk, Pastor, that God's been talking to me about. There's this stirring in my heart, Pastor. And I, I sense the Holy Spirit just reconfirming that today. Pastor, I want you to pray for me. I, you're talking to me. If that's you, just raise up your hand and put it down. As you, thank you. Somebody else, thank you.
Thank you. Thank you. Pastor, pray for me today. I need, I need the courage to get off the ship. Anybody else? Raise up that hand. Pastor, that's me today. Pray for me. Pray for me. Thank you, sir. I see that hand. Pastor, I'm here today. And of all the feelings that I have, it's this feeling of fear and trepidation that I'm going to make the wrong choice. I'm going to make the wrong decision. Pastor, I want you to pray for me to have courage today. If that's you, would you just raise up your hand and put it down? Pastor, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Hands going up all the Thank you. I see those hands. Put them. Thank you. Maybe you're here this morning. I'm going to ask this last thing, then we're going to come and stand right along the front of this boat here and around this altar. Pastor, I, I'm ready to surrender. Pastor, I'm ready to go all in with God. I know there's going to be some challenges, Pastor. I know there's going to be some things that may not be easy, but, but Pastor, today, I'm ready to go all in. No more games, Pastor. No more. No more half in, half out. No more just thinking about it or talking. Pastor, I'm ready today to surrender everything to God. I'm ready to go all in, Pastor. Would you pray for me? That's you. Would you just raise up your hand? That's me today. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I see those hands. Thank you. Now, I want you to look at me just for a moment. Just a moment, Pastor Tony's going to begin to sing. This worship team is going to begin to sing with him. Here's what I'm asking. If you raised your hand, I want you to be some of the first ones to come. And I'm just going to ask everybody that will, as soon as you hear him begin to sing, I just want you to kind of mingle in with these folks today that are coming, that are taking a step of faith, that are saying, I'm ready to get off the ship, and I just want you to come with them. We're all just going to pray together. Pastor, would you, would you sing? Come on. See, he begins to sing. I just want you to come. Thank you. 